The Big Picture, a Christian insight into the world of movies, television and pop culture with magazine editor Ben McKechn and scriptwriter Mark Hadley. A Bible Society Australia production, sharing the light of God's Word into every corner of your world. G'day, I'm Ben McKechn. And I'm his road trip buddy Mark Hadley. Welcome to episode 114 of The Big Picture for the week beginning July 3rd. And coming up on today's show... The latest instalment in the film franchise based on my life, Diary of a Wimpy Kid. (laughs) And what if God told you to kill the most wanted man in the world? Well, Nicolas Cage is on a mission in Army of One. And Robot-O-Rama! Transformers The Last Night is coming, as well as a Transformers flashback later on the show and... A special guest top five, Mark, that has something to do with Transformers and robots and that kind of thing. But I'm not entirely sure what we're going to be doing at the end of top five. But I do know, you've told me, we've got a special guest coming our way. special guest coming our way. So tune in for that. Hey, listen, one person we don't have as a guest today is Sam Robinson. I was noticing that Sam's not in this room. It's a little absent. It's probably why nothing's working. (laughs) (laughs) Hey, hey, hey. All right, I'm trying my best to be Sam. Anyway, you're doing very, very well, Sam, too. (laughs) Thanks, mate. Be, uh, let's begin the show with what's happening in film. Let's do that. What opened at cinemas last Thursday, Mark, is The House. Have you seen the posters around for this? I have, but nothing else. Yeah, that's that's about <laughs> all I've seen for it as well. The House uh, stars Will Ferrell, who hasn't really been in much lately, and Parks and Recreation's Amy Poehler as a married couple who start a casino in their basement, you know, for laughs. Yeah, because so that's what you do. That's what you do in The House. That opened at cinemas last Thursday. And also that opened at cinemas last Thursday is another movie that I think most people wouldn't have heard of. I certainly hadn't until I saw the poster, but I was intrigued by Chicken People. There's a documentary called Chicken People, which is apparently, according to IMDb, a funny and uplifting look at the world of show chickens and the people who show them. No, I come from country New South Wales, and we have been much anticipating this documentary. The release of Chicken People. Um, It sounds to me like Best in Show, that mockumentary, but for real, and about chickens. So if you like the sound of that, it's at cinemas now. (laughs) And in TV this week, you can actually have a look forward to this Sunday night. The oh gee, the premier Channel Nine event of the year. Yes, if, if you read the press release. Yes, um, Australian Ninja Warrior season one begins. Oh, I, mean, yeah. I know we've been hanging out for it. You're in the opening episode, aren't you? <laughs> Look, um, pre- people might know that an American series by the same name has actually been going for a while now, and it's been showing on Australian television. Uh, and that itself was a spin-off of the Japanese television series Sasuke, which is basically a sports competition about competitors each trying to out-compete each other in extreme obstacle courses. Uh, well, the Australian version's hosted by Rebecca, uh, Rebecca Madden, uh, and it's being touted as the ultimate television event to hit screens this year. <laughs> ultimate. I love that word. Just slap that on anything. Ultimate. People are getting tired in the marketing department at nine. Okay. <laughs> I love this. One of the uh, anything else to top the ultimate release well, of the year. They did have this line um, about one of the competitors. Lisa was told she would never walk again. Now she's a ninja warrior. Well, actually, that does sound kind of ultimate. I'm, I I'm, I'm more intrigued than I was about 30 seconds ago. Yeah, I'd okay. like to say I can't wait personally. Where can you go from can. here, Mark? Uh, what else is on TV? It's now it's just going to be a downer, whatever <laughs> you say. Well, actually, a really interesting thing. On the ABC, uh, coming this Tuesday at 8.30pm, is episode one of Diana, Seven Days That Shook the World. Ah. Now, about, now, it's basically a seven-part series about the death. I don't want to spoil the ending. Oh, <laughs> mate, too soon. Please keep <laughs> no, going is, with yeah, what you're sure. saying. It's basically 
basically, uh, it, it is about the passing of Princess Diana, uh, and or in fact, Lady Diana, as she was when she died, uh, and uh, her funeral and everything that followed and, and all the sorts of concerns around the monarchy and blah and blah. Uh, seven days that shook the world, and you can kick it off uh, on the ABC this 8.30pm this Tuesday. Now, before we kick off with pretty much the rest of the show, Mark, and we're about to get to your What Your Kids Are Watching review of Diary of a Wimpy Kid, the latest sequel in that franchise. Next week on the show, we're going to be talking about a movie that opens at at cinemas on Thursday, Spider-Man Homecoming. Talk about big franchises and reboots and that kind of stuff. They've been promoting the living daylights out of this. Yeah, they have. This is the third Spider-Man franchise that started since the year 2000. Like It's it's amazing. We'll talk more about that on the show next week. But to get us in the mood for that, let's cast our minds back to 2002 when the first Spider-Man, new new Spider-Man movie, hit the big screen when Tobey Maguire was playing Spider-Man. His nemesis, the enemy in that film, was the Green Goblin played by Willem Dafoe. I have a true or false fact about the costume that Willem Dafoe wore. So the Green Goblin's costume. Okay. Okay. Was the Green Goblin's costume made out of the same breathable sports fibres that the great sprinter and long jumper Carl Lewis wore when he won three gold medals at the Olympics? Was it made out of that? Or, two, came from the Cirque du Soleil headquarters in Quebec and had to be patented in order not to reveal any of the intricate secrets of that famous organisation. Oh, my goodness. Or C, composed of 580 separate pieces and it took Willem Dafoe half an hour to put it on. A, B or C, one, two or three, whichever one you like. Well, I'll get to the uh, actual thinking, answer. I, I'm now wondering about what I want if I'm going to actually dress up as the Green Goblin. What sort? Of, I want my <laughs> costume made out of. Like uh, I've, I've been waiting for that day when that that would happen, Mark. When you turn up in the studio as a Green Goblin, we will get to the answer to that after we talk about this. Gather round, wimps, nerds, and geeks alike. I, your faithful leader, have finally found a film worthy of our attention. A celluloid adventure where we, the underdogs, are finally given the starring roles. Mark actually wrote that for me to I just say that it would sound well coming but from your so, mouth. But it was so it was so apt coming coming from me. This week saw the release of Diary of a Wimpy Kid, the franchise built on the back of a staggeringly successful series of primary age books about what it's like not to be the most popular, clever, or sporty at school. Mark took his own lack of cleverness off to the cinemas to see how strong wimps can actually be, and discovered a world where everyone, regardless of their intelligence, age, or wisdom, deserves to be heard. He is the Wimpy Kid. If there's one thing I've learned from my years of being a kid, it's that you have zero control over your own life. Who's excited about the Great Hefley Road Trip? Four days in the car. Together? This summer... Player Expo's in Indianapolis this weekend. It's only two inches away. Tomorrow we ride, compadre. He's going further... Changing destination. ...than he's ever gone before. Becoming a rebel. Okay, so Greg Heffley, if you don't know who he is, he is the wimpy kid behind Diary of a Wimpy Kid fame, and he's cast as something of a nerd, uh, a mar- only made worse by a video of him with a nappy stuck to his hand that goes viral at the beginning of the film, and so now he's known as Diaper Boy as well, okay? And so his family... <laughs> That's decided, kind of funny. Yeah, well, his family's decided to go on a, a four-day road trip to Grandma's 90th birthday, and Greg thinks the way to actually get rid of this Diaper Boy uh, label is to hook up with his family favourite YouTuber at a uh, nearby gamer conference uh, and rescue his reputation if he can get a video of him and his sort of mate online. Um, what could possibly go wrong with this plan? Well, basically, that's the entire film. 
Now, Mark, uh, despite what you wrote for me in the introduction that I read about being the leader of wimps and nerds um, all over the world, I actually am not very familiar with this franchise at all. I think I might have seen the first one, possibly, but I definitely haven't read the books. Yeah, I know what you mean. Uh, look, I think you could call the Diary of a Wimpy Kid franchise the secret franchise, uh, well known to parents of primary school age kids and maybe younger high school, but pretty much it's it, you know it would be under the radar for everybody else. Strangely, though, Long Haul, which is the film we're talking about now, is the fourth film in the series. Fourth? I know. No, that's yeah, that's it's exactly almost more what, than Spider Man. I know, we're probably more consistent. Anyway, <laughs> so I mean, they've had Diary of a Wimpy Kid, Diary of a Wimpy Kid, Roderick Rules, Diary of a Wimpy Kid, Dog Days, and now Diary of a Wimpy Kid: The Long Haul, which is based on the ninth book in the series. Ninth? Oh, sorry, book? yeah, of which of twelve. 12 books? There are 12 books in this thing. Wow. Colour me informed. Okay. So, is The Long Haul essentially then a road movie for young teens? Yeah, basically, think of National Lampoon's Vacation. Yes, uh, you had me at at National Lampoon's Vacation. (laughs) I know. I know this is one of your favourite films of all time. But instead, you know, the young Jason Drucker is the actor uh, playing the role of Chevy Chase. You know, everything goes wrong for him as he goes along the road. That sounds kind of awesome, is it? It is kind of awesome. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> <laughs> but more kinder than more, awesome well it, it's not bad I mean like this is really right in the centre uh, of Disney territory to be honest oh yeah it's kind of like a return to Shaggy DA and Freaky Friday and that sort of like, like mid-range early 80s Disney yeah, stuff early 80s fun family oh no mum dad you're making matters worse for me you know that sort of stuff or shucks G-rated is this G-rated it is in fact PG-rated right right yeah. But, that, but those kind of like more uh, genteel hijinks. Yes, that sort of stuff. There's nothing terribly wrong going except for people getting diapers stuck to their hands. Yeah, okay. Now, speaking of Disney films and those ones back of your, you know, cast our minds back way back to the 1980s, Mark, when, when <laughs> we were just young lads. Um, <laughs> I was finishing my first degree, yes. <laughs> <laughs> younger lads. As you just mentioned, um, a lot of those were kind of stuffed with cute family lessons where everyone seems to learn something by the end of the movie. Is that what we get here with the long haul? Is it a return to that kind of cutesy family lesson? It is pretty much. Uh, there's one here, make no mistake, but it's a pretty modern lesson. You know, mum and dad, Hefley, mum especially, is played by Alicia Silverstone, have to learn that they can't legislate family fun and taking electronic devices off people in this day and age is a bit unreasonable and will only lead to deceit. Sheesh, come on, Mum. You brought this on yourself. I know, this is what I'm trying to say. The lessons are largely for the parents to learn in this one. I mean, Greg does learn that it's not all about him. (laughs) <laughs> and that, you know, sometimes having a good time means having a good time with what other people want to do. But generally speaking, he never gets called to account for his deceit or for his worry. It all works out quite neatly. And mum learns the lesson. Um, I feel like, you know, it kind of sounds reasonable that we should all get along and we should all give up for each other. But the truth is the way they pitch it in this film, mum and dad are pretty silly. There are not really great reasons to obey them, apparently. Uh, and, you know, Greg never gets called in his deceit. The wisdom of old age is kind of neglected. It's kind of an inversion mm-hmm. uh, but sounds like this par- equality doesn't really play out for Christian sounds like ideas. parents getting ambushed in the cinema when they take their kids along to go and watch <laughs> no, this no. and like turns out you're the problem yeah so, so we'll have a good understanding at the end that we all laugh and realise we're all the problem or we're all you know needing to sort of give in to each other but basically um, I don't know never say I reminded you a piece of advice that Maya's dad my wife actually um, passed on he said never say I know I know I know you know as a kid because you never know what's going to come out of the person's mouth next you know it could be actually be something really wise and i figure the wisdom of kids is touted in this film just a little too highly 
Okay, well, if you want to get wise to Diary of a Wimpy Kid, The Long Haul is rated PG for mild crude humour and coarse language. It stars the equally wimpy Jason Drucker, Alicia Silverstone, Tom Everett Scott and Charlie Wright, and it's now showing at a cinema near you. Okay, to get us in the mood for Spider-Man Homecoming, it's at cinemas this week. We're going to talk about it on the show next week. I posed a true or false just before we talked about Diary of the Wimpy Kid. 2002, the original Spider-Man film of this millennium. Green Goblin was the bad guy. Willem Dafoe played him. His costume, was it? Made from breathable fibres that Carl Lewis wore when he won three gold medals at the Olympics. Did it come from Cirque du Soleil, but they had to patent it to keep the secrets in it? Or was it composed of 580 pieces and took Willem Dafoe half an hour to put on? I'm figuring that it's Cirque du Soleil. Like, I feel like that's such a bizarre costume. It looks like it was made for the high wire. Yeah, that, I, I really like the sound of that too, but it's false. Oh, That what? one's false. It was actually composed of 580, a lazy 580 pieces, Mark, and it took Willem Dafoe half an hour to put on. Sounds very much like me on a Saturday night. Okay, well, coming up, what if God told you to hunt down the most wanted man in the world? We'll find out soon. Plus, stick around for our Robotorama, the new Transformers movie, and a special guest star for our top five. Welcome back to the show. And still to come, Mark, we will be talking a little bit later on to an animator. There's a lot of big special effects-driven films at the cinema at the moment. We're going to talk to an animator about what actually is involved in putting those films together. And then at the finale of our show, we will have a special guest, which I'm really looking forward to because I don't really know who the special guest is, and they're going to bring us their own personal top five that's got something to do with robots. Indeed they do. And in fact, what we have now, though, is our soundtrack segment. Mm. So yes, it's time for our soundtrack segment, the part of the show when we delve into the music that makes our movies and TV shows just sing with energy or sigh with sadness. Last break, we took a look at Diary of a Wimpy Kid, The Long Haul. Now it's time to see what music makes it the modern version of the family road trip. Say hello to Bruno Mars and count on me. Find yourself stuck in the middle of the sea I'll sail the world to find you If you ever find yourself lost in the dark and you can't see I'll be the light to guide you Find out what we're made of When we are called to help our friends in need you can count on me like one, two, three, I'll be there. And I know when I need it, I can count on you like four, three, two, and you'll be there. Cause that's what friends are supposed to do, oh yeah. And then you turn and then you just can't fall asleep I'll sing a song beside you And if you ever forget how much you really mean to me Every day I will remind you Oh, Find out what we're made of When we are called to help our friends in need you can't count on me like one, two, three, I'll be there. And I know when I need it, I can count on you like 
is Hawaiian and was hugely influenced by Elvis as a kid and the song Count On Me has been compared to Over The Rainbow by Israel Kamakawiwoli you know the guy basically who does that Over The Rainbow on the ukulele well, what's his name again I'll do it Kamaka- I just like to hear you say it Kamakawiwoli yep I'm sure that was right I know um, <laughs> for all of the Hawaiian Didn't people did the frog sing Over The Rainbow as well no that's a that's uh, it's a completely different Anyway, don't worry. Oh, okay. okay. Sure. Back to but Bruno anyway, Mars. The point is yes. that um, this is basically on his debut album and it got kind of mixed reviews and the main criticism was cheesy lyrics. Of this Bruno okay. Mars song, yeah, Count, this Count on Me. Bruno Mars song, Count on Me. Cheesy lyrics. And I, I, I thought I might just troll through the lyrics quickly and have a look. Okay. Um, you'll be there because that's what friends are supposed to do. Oh, yeah. Well, you know, <laughs> I mean, I can deal with that. Really? Oh, yeah? Is I, on the end? Particularly, I like this one. You can count on me because I can count on you. Well, what? Like, yeah. think that through. <laughs> that doesn't even make any sense. Look, I think we should let the public decide because I feel it's a little hard to judge. The single peaked at number uh, position nineteen in Australia, 19, and not so let's bad. not forget number two in the Czech Republic. So take that, naysayers. What would you do if God came to you and told you to take out the most wanted man in the world? Back in 2010, an American guy claimed just that. And now there's a movie about how Gary Faulkner went on a mission for God to take out Osama bin Laden. Army of One stars Nicolas Cage as Gary, and this extreme tale of getting a call-up from God raises one of the biggest issues ever. How can we know what God wants us to do? Hello, Gary. God, I've got a favour to ask you, Gary. A favour? I need you to go over to Pakistan and capture Bin Laden for me. Capture Bin Laden? We're talking about destiny, Gary. Yes. You and Osama Bin Laden. That's crazy. No, I have a lot to do. I'm planning and training. Hey, man, I don't want to be that guy, but I'm pretty sure you can't fail to Pakistan. I'm sailing! Is this Pakistan? No, senor. Reason for visits? Taking care of business. Like me, I'm guessing that plenty of people know nothing about Gary Faulkner's story. I mean, did he really try to hunt down Osama bin Laden? Yes. Yes, yes. Um, seriously, Mark, that's... this this is this is. I was going to say one hundred percent true. Army of One uh, isn't one hundred percent true. Artistic license has been taken with this movie, but yes, this this did happen to this guy, or the, at least this guy. 
In 2010, Gary Faulkner, an American construction worker, claimed that God visited him in a dream and other visions to say, single-handedly, go to Pakistan and dig up, find, like uncover, work out where Osama bin Laden is, capture him and, and, and bring him back. Seize the most wanted man in the world. The, the reason we're talking about Army of One, Mark, I, I would think is obvious, which is that story alone. Like this, yeah, just, yeah, that's right in our just ballpark. Just hearing that outlandish story alone is worth noting. Um, a lot of people are, are, at this moment might actually be scratching their heads saying, Army of One? I didn't know that was at cinemas. It's not. It's gone straight to DVD and Blu-ray. It was made last year. But the reason we're talking about it on the show, again, go back to how notable <laughs> just the, the structure, the, the premise of this film is. We thought we had to talk about it. So it was just, it was just been released in the last couple of weeks. So what are we supposed to make of Gary and his claims? I mean, well, is it taken seriously or is he just being sent home? Look, it, it is, it is for, for the most part. I think that the tone of the film is um, strangely reverent of, of Gary, as in it's not trying to say necessarily that he's the best bloke in the world or, you know, he's a saint or anything like that, but it doesn't mock him as much as I would have thought, given the guy that's directing this is Larry Charles, who was um, behind Seinfeld, but also behind a lot of the um, Borat films and, and the work with uh, Sasha Baron Cohen. So I expected Army of One to be a lot more having a go at this guy who's making these amazing claims and he's getting his samurai sword, he's trying to fly, uh, trying to sail a yacht to Pakistan. He's never done that before, he never even sailed a yacht, but he's trying to get to Pakistan any way he can and he's telling everybody that he knows that he's going to go and do this. I thought there might be a bit more, you know, mocking, but there isn't. Nicolas Cage is playing Gary and Nicolas Cage, if you've seen any Nicolas Cage no movie... No one does crazy like Nicolas Cage. No one does Cage. crazy like Nicolas Cage. Even Dennis Hopper or Jack Nicholson <laughs> at their prime don't do crazy like Nicolas Cage does and Nicolas Cage pretty much out Nicolas Cage's himself as Gary. He's like Nicolas Cage on Nicolas Cage pills. <laughs> uh, he is almost out of control on screen. One of the only reasons, I think, to watch Army of One is because Nicolas Cage throws himself so far into it that it's like watching this whirlwind on screen. But it's almost a downside, too, because the film is treating Gary so seriously as he goes along. But Gary is a motor mouth, an eccentric, an oddball, and a guy who just talks at 100 million miles an hour constantly about all kinds of stuff. It's really hard to keep up with. You don't really know whether to take him seriously or not, so it's very easy to get just lost in the fact that he's running on the spot talking about this one idea over and over again about trying to get to Pakistan. Nicholas Cage is impressive as he is doing it. And who does God this time? Doesn't really carry it through. Russell Brand, that controversial Russell English Brand. comedian. That should give you some indication of how God is treated in this yes. movie. He shows up in the form of Russell Brand. Yeah, okay. Um, well, okay, Arm of One raises the inevitable and huge issue. How can we know what God wants us to do? Does it answer it? Yeah, well, the army of one answer is that um, if you think God's come to you, then okay. And if no one's got a right to take that off, that's right. If you're convicted of that, and even in the form of Russell Brand showing up and telling you what to do and go and hunt down the most wanted man in the world, even though you've got no skills and no background in that, sure. Uh, So the army of one answer is basically, yep. If you think God's done that, go for it. I think the Bible has other uh, suggestions to offer to you on on that front. Um, if you want to know how God's, uh, God's what God is saying to you or speaking to you, uh, there's one part in the New Testament at the start of the book of Hebrews that says explicitly that God back in the day uh, was talking through uh, prophets and other messengers, but now, but at the time when Jesus Christ appeared. He fully revealed himself God, and he speaks to people through Jesus Christ. So in contrast with Army of One, Army of One is suggesting, well, if you think God's speaking to you, go for it. The Bible says something else. It says if you want enough God's speaking to you, question whether it's um, uh, coming through this lens of Jesus, 
whether you can actually like stack it up against what Jesus did and taught and suggested and wants people to do. You've got to go and bring it to Jesus, whether you think God's saying something to you or not, rather than just like, you know, try to work it out yourself. Well, that's an interesting thing. Does Gary ever talk about Jesus in the film? Or is no. it all just this do, God, God as Russell Brand? Yeah, God as Russell Brand. So the, Jesus, um, the Bible doesn't really show up. This is more of a loose portrait of God. And, and, and even so far as Army of One says, that humans have created God in their own image, not the other way around. So that should give you a fair suggestion of what Army of One is saying about hearing the word of God. Okay, right. Well, Army of One has gone straight to DVD and is available now. It stars Nicholas Cage and Russell Brand is rated M for coarse language, drug use, and M for mm, I wonder whether this guy is telling the truth. Mm, which, uh, who, who, who can tell? The truth is, Mark, that we are on Facebook all the time and we would love for you to join us on there. Uh, we don't just share our podcasts from the show. We also uh, put out videos each week. Um, different to the show where we're doing other commentary on stuff that's around in pop culture. So go and this find us. This is simply the tip of the iceberg. This people. is the tip of the iceberg. So go and check us out. We're the Big Picture Show on Facebook, where every week we will inundate you with all kinds of stuff that you need to know about pop culture from a Christian perspective. There you go. And a 3D animator up next. He explains just how hard it is to create blockbusters, special effects, before he gets um, his Optimus Prime together for Transformers The Last Night. Welcome back. Last week, we had a good old natter about the positives and the negatives of Pixar's latest animation, Cars 3. And still to come in the show very, very soon, we'll be taking a look at one of the biggest computer-generated features of the year, Transformers The Last Night. But before we get there, we thought we'd pay tribute to the art form that gives us extravaganzas like this, the art form of animation. Without it, Lightning wouldn't have his speed and Optimus Prime wouldn't have his... um, well, what, what, what does he... Well, what, what Optimus Prime has. Yes. He, he wouldn't have that. So <laughs> here to speak about it with us is the live motion capture version of himself, Simon the Animator. G'day, Simon. Hey, Simon. G'day, G'day guys. How are you going? Very well. Good. Thanks, mate. And thanks very much for coming on the show, mate, and particularly to talk to us about animation. So, I mean, let's begin by asking you, how long does it take to, say, animate a minute? Okay, like if you if you had to do a cartoon or some robot mayhem, and you want to allow a good minute, That's what are right. you going to allow? If Pixar for? gave you a call and said, "Animate a minute of Cars three, how long would it take? Well, mate, it's I reckon it would take. It depends on how how brilliant what that you want that minute to be. Doesn't it? <laughs> we want it brilliant, uh, Simon. Okay. Brilliant. Yeah. Uh, well, you know, if you wanted a cheap budget, then you could just have the whole thing set uh, set over dialogue. And the car sitting still with his moving—that <laughs> uh, would take you about three minutes. Okay, uh, okay. If you, wanted, if you want a lot of action, then a minute. Yeah, a minute could take uh, could take an hour or or, or longer. To, so, it could it could take a whole day. You know. Yeah, you really so like a, that sort of stuff can actually just be hyper intensive. And you are you always working on your own, or are there other people doing other elements of an animation? Yeah, look, the the, the scale of the job changes, uh, and so there's big picture motion and you, you look at the credits at the end of a movie and mm. the animation department is just huge you know you could fill a city with those people yes but, yes uh, but then there's low budget stuff and, and you might just have one guy sitting in a room and doing the whole thing and the, one thing about animation that I, I always found really cool was that the animator is uh, not just a drawer or the or the computer uh, um, maneuverer but he's the he's the actor he puts his mind into the character that he's He's uh, moving. He's also the director of the scene, and he's the cameraman, and he's the lighting guy. He does all those things. Wow, I never actually thought about that. Yeah, no, basically like a one-person film set. 
in like <laughs> in, in, one, in one in one body. So Simon, we're referencing a Cars three and Transformers last night. Particularly, they're both out for school holidays at the moment. You as an animator, have you got some favourite animated films you can throw our way? Oh, the films! You know, I did. I was one of those guys who cried at uh, Toy Story three. Right, that's, that, that's all right. I think Mark did for other reasons because he's not a big fan of Toy Story 3, but I'm with you, Simon. I, I had to choke back the tears. Yeah. It's really I, cool. Like, you, you got these, they're not only, I mean, animations, that movie's about toys. They're about inanimate objects, but the animators have brought these pixels to life and, um, and you can cry over these these uh, pieces of LCD on your screen. It's crazy. It is funny um, when you think that these things are actually just, as you say, uh, constructions, not people, and yet we treat them that way. Just some digital dots on a screen, but we can tear up over them. Mm. Yeah, you can evoke so much emotion in animation. It's a, it's a great industry to be a part of, great, uh, great art form. Speaking of being evocative, you're a Christian. I mean, do you um, get you know, certain feelings or ideas out of, of animations that you see? Are, are there storylines that really sort of get you excited from a Christian perspective? Well, you can animate anything, really. I, I think that the beauty, and so you can get as much out of animation movies as any other movie. Um, but one of the reasons why a person might choose to animate something rather than use live act, action uh, is that you can do the unbelievable through animation, mm. and uh, and a lot comes out of the body language of an of a character or a scene. And uh, I I, uh, I I love the emotion that you can you can glean from animation. The other thing that I find from a Christian perspective is going back to your question about how long it takes to mm. animate something. Mm. And uh, you know, I always think about God as the creator, and He just spoke, and it all came into being. But as an animator, I sit down and it takes me forever just to create a tree, you know. <laughs> so I'm always, I'm always uh, blind. And you're even working off the model. <laughs> yeah, God is a much better animator than all of us. Simon, the animator, thank you so much for joining us on The Big Picture to bring us up to speed with the art form that brings us such delights or depends on your take on it. Cars 3 and coming up real soon, Mark's review on Transformers last night. So we'll find out whether it's a delight or not. Thanks, Simon. Thanks, guys. My pleasure. See ya. Well, we have been pointing towards this moment for most of the show, and it's finally arrived. Transformers time! Not satisfied with earning hundreds of millions off the first four films in the franchise, director Michael Bay is back for a fifth instalment and presumably a new private jet or something. He's brought us Transformers the last night. Mark planned an excursion with his robot-obsessed son to see if the franchise had finally turned out a film that he could approve of. You are needed, sir, urgently. You want to know, don't you, why they keep coming here? So is this a kidnapping or her first Transformer experience? It's both, really. A thousand years, we've kept it hidden. The secret history of Transformers. Yeah, on Earth. So Transformers, The Last Night, is set a year or so after the end of the fourth film, Age of Extinction. Optimus Prime, you might remember, headed off into space at the end of that one to have a word with his makers and warn them off and basically never returned. Uh, and in the meantime, humanity has been gone back to hunting down the Transformers as indiscriminately as the last film. Mark Wahlberg's back in the play as Cade Yeager, the Cade failed... Cade Yeager. I know. Best named character ever. <laughs> Cade Yeager. He's basically the failed inventor still who's now a 
self-appointed guardian of the Autobots and is hiding them in a junkyard. And everything changes, though, when the Transformers' homeworld, Cybertron, is detected moving through space towards Earth. Sure. Uh, and then yep. suddenly Cade is contacted by Sir Edmund Burton, um, who's played by Anthony Hopkins. Sir Anthony Hopkins. Sir Anthony Hopkins, um, who uh, is the head of an age-old society that's been protecting the real secret history of Transformers on Earth that basically involves King Arthur, a legendary relic, um, and something that's going to destroy the world. Jaeger's the last of King Arthur's Knights. Honestly, it is just a very, very complex storyline. I didn't pick up much more than yeah, that. Yeah, I've seen Transformers the last night. I thought you did um, a, a pretty a pretty good job, Mark, of trying to summarise which which uh, what is an enormous amount of plot. Yeah, like, so honest, much plot. It, it is quite confusing uh, at times, and that's an understatement. I mean, And you went with your young son. Uh, indeed. I took Elijah along. He's my number two boy. Yes. And um, he's just... As uh, in he was born second. Yes. No, yes. Not, he's not, yes. not playing favourites? I love all of my children equally. Yes. Uh, oh, well... Oh, no, I won't go into that. But anyway. So, you guys went, saw Transformers we went, last night. We had a wonderful time. Was Elijah able to keep up? Uh, Elijah is a walking, talking dictionary of all things Transformers. So he knows all about it. So it's very much like having a commentary with you, yes. which honestly, given the plot complexity, was very, very helpful, <laughs> very helpful. <laughs> to know who was what character. And who I could have done with that. I know. So it's very much. But literally, that said, I don't think you have to worry about the plot too much because basically the stunts, the battles, the science fiction moments the special effects, basically overwhelm any story that's there. In fact, literally, as I was watching, I thought pretty much what they'd done is they created several set-piece things that they wanted to do. Then they brought in some poor schmuck of a scriptwriter like myself and said, would you mind just linking these up? You know, and that's literally what it feels like. There's big thing, and then dialogue that makes no sense. Okay, and then big thing. let's let's try to like helpfully, uh, if we can, uh, like this drill down into one element of the last night that, that I think people, whether they've seen it or not, would, would be interested in. If there is it's still interested in Transformers, what's going on here with Optimus Prime? Let's I, start with that. Okay, so Optimus Prime headed off into space to go find his maker. Yes. Okay, who turns out actually to be not a really nice person at all. No, she is not. No, she's a nasty piece of work. As Though, and this is the interesting thing, every time a character in the in cinemas these days seems to meet their maker, uh, their maker just doesn't seem to be terribly concerned about them, as if somehow, um, you know, you can't be a creator and be concerned for your creations. Mm, There's something. Mm. Then Optimus Prime's, um, the, the closer he gets to his maker, the more he suffers some form of mind wipe. So he's under the influence of his maker. And there's another interesting idea about makers that, like, anybody who has anything to do with these creator figures really stops thinking. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, and then you've a got a brainwashing vibe going on. Exactly. Isn't there? And then when he's when he finally comes to his senses, it's not because he, you know, the, the creator helps him in any way. It's basically his friends who restore him to his senses by saying, you know, this maker's not really so good. And again, there's a little subtle tide against the idea of, of a creator being benevolent or helpful or anything like that. Yeah. Now, we've been just spending a lot of time even trying to work out the plot and talk about what on earth Optimus Prime is doing. But you mentioned that you took your son Elijah to see this. You've got two more boys. Do you think you're going to be taking them along to, to see the last night as well? It is getting increasingly hard to get behind the Transformers franchises. Is that parent. just because they're not great films? Well, it's they are bad films, okay? But, you know, there are a lot of sort of like 
bubblegum type films out there that are just there for the watching and nothing more. But look, the problem we've got is that Hasbro Toys, you know, from which the series is based on, are being marketed so aggressively to, to young kids, like it's Transformers everything, but the films themselves are totally unsuitable for anybody under 15. I mean, Transformers 1 was cute enough, but there was lots of sexual innuendo. Then Transformers 2 upped the ante on the sexual content, and then Transformers 3 basically decided that the good guys could start killing the bad guys in really graphic ways. Mm -hmm. Then Transformers 4, Optimus Prime starts ranting and screaming, kill them all the time. Uh, And now in Transformers 5, what happens? Well, guys, uh, the the, tan- the Transformers have developed a serious case of potty mouth because okay, they're basically swearing and having temper tantrums. Now, I just don't know what... I don't, I can't put a primary school kid in front of this. And that's the thing. So I have my lovely boy Elijah sitting next to me thinking, well, at least, you know, the language will be safe, but apparently not now. So now you've got to stick your hands over the kid's ears. I'm starting to wonder what there is left in the franchise. Wow, so it's really not too much at all to recommend or Transformers The Last Night, but it is screening across Australia at the moment. As we mentioned, it stars Mark Wahlberg. It also stars Laura Haddock, Sir Anthony Hopkins, if you can believe that, Gemma Chan and Stanley Tucci. It's rated M for action, violence and coarse language, as Mark just mentioned. Uh, but that's really the least of your problems, <laughs> I, I think, if you're actually going along to try to you know, actually check out the last night. Ugh. Look, still to come on the show, though, we are going to be talking about more Transformers because we're going to dig back into the Transformers archive, aren't we, Mark, and go back to the original film, which I think a lot of people don't actually know exists from 1986, an animated film, Transformers, before a special guest reviewer joins us for the top five. Welcome back to the show. Now we've reached that point in the time where I like to refer to it as the vault, and mainly I refer to it as the vault is because it is the vault. Yeah, it is okay. actually called the vault. Yes. <laughs> Pop quiz: Who was the cinema legend who appeared in a Transformers movie more than thirty years ago? The answer to that tantalising question and much more are about to be revealed by Insights reviewer and big picture regular Russ Matthews. For the vault segment this week, we asked Russ to Optimus Primus about the little-known animated Transformers movie from nineteen. 19- 86, and he began by telling us when it takes place. Well, it happens in the far distant future of 2005. (laughs) (laughs) Pretty much it just boils down to the Autobots and then the Decepticons are fighting for their world of Cybertron, and in their battle, they get so distracted by their hatred for one another that all of a sudden this new enemy called Unicron comes in and actually almost decimates pretty much everything we know about the Autobots and the Decepticons. Wasn't Unicron in the latest Transformers that the last night which actually I'm not going to get distracted by that because I, I, that took already too much of my life let's stop right there let's get back to this movie hit us with some factoids and some trivia about this Transformers movie historically it actually had a fascinating cast Orson Welles um, Leonard Nimoy Robert Stack Eric Idle but it was also Orson Welles last film so yeah. Orson Welles as in Citizen Kane's Orson Welles that's right he died literally five days after he got done like fil- doing all of the voiceovers for it and that's like so Rosebud to opt Optimus Prime. What do you know? And Mr. Spock, Leonard Nimoy. What was interesting about it too is that actually Leonard Nimoy came back later on in the 2011 Transformers Dark of the Moon. So he actually was a voiceover again, which also is another interesting link because Frank Walker, who actually plays the voice of Megatron, and also Peter Cullen, who is Optimus Prime's voice, are still the Optimus Prime and um, Megatron voices in the the Michael Bay films. That is the biggest nerd fact we're going to get today. Or is it? It, it, No, yet there's more. Transformer actually almost traumatized a generation because Unicron comes in and virtually decimates and eliminates all of the, the Transformer 
Transformers. So you mean all the Transformers are killed? That was one of the things that was quite traumatizing. One, that there was this exceptionally high body count. I mean, granted, they're Transformers, but they were all pretty much eliminated. It was Hasbro's idea because they wanted to actually introduce a whole group of new toys. Is this a bit where we start saying, spoiler alert, spoiler yeah, alert? Yeah, yeah, whoops, 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 yeah. And also, they wanted to make it a PG film opposed to a G film, so they added one curse word in the whole film. So they added a swear word, what, to give it some edge? <laughs> to give it a little bit of edge, to try and make it appealing to teenagers, I guess? Even though they were wiping out all those Transformers, that, that's pretty edgy, I would have thought, Russ. They, they did, they eliminated them all, except for the Dinobots. The Dinobots showed up in that Transformers movie? They had a tough time getting them on the plane, but then all of a sudden, for some reason, they could fly. I don't know, the Dinobots, it was really fascinating. It is the first female um, Autobot that's introduced. Her name's RC. She's actually the pink one, if, we, if, you know, if you're kind of keeping track. Also, another interesting fact, as far as the musical component, is that Weird Al Yankovic, interestingly enough, his song actually makes a, a showing. There's a Weird Al Yankovic song in the Transformers movie from 1996? Dare to be stupid is there, yes. Now, dare to be stupid is often the kind of slogan that's leveled at anyone who's going to go in to see a Transformers movie, particularly Transformers The Last Night. A lot of people are daring each other to be stupid and, and go and see it. After putting together this massive dossier about Transformers, the 1986 movie, Russ. Are you any more interested in going and actually seeing it? Because I know you haven't, like me. Now, I, I checked out on YouTube, went and looked at a few of the video clips that are on YouTube, and after seeing those, Ben, I'm going to honestly say, it kind of makes Michael Bay look like a cinematic genius. Michael Bay looked like a cinematic genius. That's uh, isn't he? That's <laughs> that's Russ Matthews quote for 2017. Another Russ Matthews quotes from 2017 can be found at insights.uca.org.au. Insights are massive believers in the big picture. Thank you very much. Um, please head across to their website. Check out uh, loads of reviews, including Russ Matthews reviews on the latest movies that are always showing up at insights.uca.org.au. Well, we've reached the finale of the show. It's top five time. And look, earlier in the show, Mark was talking about Transformers the last night, and he revealed that he took his Transformers enthusiast son, Elijah, to test out the film on its target market. Well, we should have been queuing up the This Is Your Life music because Elijah's just walked into the studio. Hello. Elijah, how are you doing? <laughs> Good. Elijah is, Elijah is our special. I see what's happening. He's, just, he's yes. our special guest for top five Hi, this week. Know. What the heck are you doing out of bed? Um, <laughs> <laughs> I know it's, it's super. Well, you've got a, you've got a special reason to be here, Elijah, out of bed at, at this time because you are about to unveil to us the top five. Is that right, Dad? It is indeed. I figured I'd call you Dad, can't I? You can today. Great. Maybe. Yes, because I know Maybe I've always been something of a father figure to you. Yeah. Okay. Yes, I figured if Kim Jong Il could pass on the entire country of North Korea <laughs> to his son, then I figured passing on reviewing to mine was well beyond any criticism. So Elijah started telling me about his idea for a Transformers-inspired top five, and I figured rather than just steal his ideas this time around, I might actually give him the opportunity to present them himself. So, Elijah, you're going to give us out your top five. Now, hang on. Are you ready for our top five sting? But before we get oh, there, Elijah, what is the top five? What well, are you going to be doing? Well, the top five, this top five is top five rogue robots. Top five rogue robots. Okay, are you ready for your music? Here it comes. Five. Cool, right? Those special okay. effects are cool. Okay, number five. Okay, number five, we have Wally. That was made in 2008. So this film is set in the year 
2805, the earth has been abandoned and contaminated with garbage. Yep, yep. I know the film, the Pixar movie. Yes, wh- why is Pixar Wally a rogue robot? Yeah. How does he go rogue? I'll get to that. Okay, 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 sorry, okay. Sorry. Dad, Dad, come on. <laughs> Please. Give him some time. The people of Earth have been, uh, well, the people of Earth have been evacuated to a special owned by this company called By and Large. Yes, yes. Yep. So far, so good. Yep. They have left the Wally units to clean up the earth. That's yes. Yep. I'm with you so far. Garbage. That's I kept their the job. towing garbage. Yes. Yep. All except one, one unit on the planet. Ah. All except one have shut down. I see what he you might go- be going now. This so, Wally goes rogue. And he goes rogue? Wally. F- so then Wally finds a seedling showing new life and then falls in love with a robot unit named Eve. That's pretty rogue. Who has arrived to take the seedling. Definitely yeah. not part it. of his programming. No. Okay. I like to keep going. Okay. So, well, that's this, number five, is it? This film is... Wait, I haven't finished yet. Oh, sorry. Wait, wait. Dad, please. <laughs> this... <laughs> sorry. This film is... <laughs> keep going, Elijah. <laughs> this film is about finding relationships and doing something good to save the earth. Okay, okay cool. Okay, but what, what do you think is like the number one reason that he's a rogue? He is... Well, I think he's rogue because he forms a personality and falls in love and takes new challenges. Whoa, dude, that is a great summary of a rogue robot. And that's only number five because we're up to... Four. So this number four is um, Ultron from Ava- Avengers Age of Ultron. Ah, yes, yeah, so that was a couple yes. of years ago, that Avengers sequel, yep. So Tony Stark, a.k.a. Iron Man, has created the, the Ultron program to protect the world. Mm-hmm. Okay, so protecting's the goal, gotcha. Yep. Yes, yep. But the program becomes hostile. That's a bit rogue, I would uh, say. A little inappropriate for a protective program, yes. Yes. The program Ultron looks for a body to download his brain into. Yes. And then he brutally, I chose that word, brutally <laughs> feeds off Jarvis Tony Stark's supercomputer. Which is the uh, word that you chose? Where? <laughs> brutally. Brutally, yes. Where do, where do you get your, your fine use of adjectives and your inability to be interrupted from? YouTube! YouTube, the purveyor of all words. Now, now, talk to us then. It sounds like we're getting the picture of why he's rogue, but why, why have you put him at number four on your list? Well, he is rogue because he developed up to conscious and thinks that humankind is the threat and must be eliminated. Well, that's a really interesting way of thinking of it, that actually Ultron has a conscience. Yeah. You know, because he's actually going, well, I'm afraid this is just a bad thing. We'll have to get rid of you humans. Okay. Rogue Stri- robots yeah, getting you, a conscience. You, you, that's you, only number four, which I'm sure isn't a patch on number three. Three. Okay, number three is Chappie from 2015. Also, also 2015. 2015. Yes. Hang it's a big a se- year for rogue robots. Hang on a second. Chappie. Now, now, Chappie, the rated M Chappie. <laughs> no, it's I didn't M-A. want to say it, Dad, while you were in the <laughs> it's room. It's M-A. Oh, it's M-A. That's even better. <laughs> what? That, that makes it better. I definitely it? haven't seen this, okay? Oh, okay, right, right. Oh, repeat, uh, listeners, he hasn't seen it. Yes. He has not seen an MA15 MA plus group. No, how, just how... don't show this to your kids until they're like 15 or something. Thank you. Thank you, Elijah. Because how old are you, Elijah? <laughs> 12. Yeah, so you definitely shouldn't have seen it. But why is Chappie at number three on your list? Well, Chappie is, well, a robot, but I haven't seen this film, but this is why I know. Sand the Future. Think Robocop. Okay, which you haven't also seen. Yes. Yes. Yep. Okay, this film was about our police forces no longer being human but replaced with machines. Yes. One police droid named Chappie is stolen and reprogrammed. Yep. And... He's rogue because he becomes the first robot to think and feel for himself. Okay. And I believe he develops swagger. 
Whoa. Yeah. As well, and has um as as a an affectation for gangster chains. Whoa, okay. And so coming in at number two. Two. It's Megatron from the Transformers film franchise. Only at number two from the Transformers Loving Elijah. Actually, that's pretty Megatron. I know that's pretty interesting that this is actually only your second most rogue robot. But tell us. So so this Megatron is directed by Michael Bay. Of yep, course. a genius, according oh, yes. to um, um, Russ Matthews. Yes. <laughs> this these films cover the good and evil side of the Transformers universe. Yep. Uh, for most of the films, the Me- for most of the films except the last night, the antagonist in these films is Megatron. Okay, so he's the bad guy. That's another YouTube word. I, I think know, antagonist. Gosh. Whoa. Yes. This is the history of Megatron based on the Transform Transformers Prime version. Which went from I think 2011 to 2013. Sure, oh, never sure. heard of it. Don't which, know anything about it. Which is the best animated Transformers series in my opinion. Yeah, this okay, is, this is what we call bias. Yes. Okay. okay. <laughs> yeah. Okay, let's get on. Sure. <laughs> <laughs> we, we didn't even give you the hurry up. Yes? Move on, onward. Okay, so why why is he rogue? Why so, is this such a rogue robot? So Megatron was formerly a gladder. A gladiator yes. who demanded equal rights to all Cybertronians. Okay, oh, what? he sure. was like a, like a Spartacus. <laughs> right. yes. Okay. Oh, yeah. wow. Okay. All right. That's kind of rogue for a robot, yes. He turned from gladiator into a revolutionary and became a sort of mentor for Optimus. Wow, he's all over the place, Megatron. <laughs> he's like bad and good and good and bad. Yeah, and, yeah. and like, yeah, he's... So like topsy-turvy. It's like goodwill hunting, but done <laughs> with the robots. <laughs> now, how are you going to top that, Elijah? Because we, are, we have now got to number... One. Wait, I haven't... No, I'm afraid Good time on. is pushing oh, us time on. is pushing okay. us on, and we need okay. to know, Elijah, what is number one. What's number, number one? one is the T-800 from Terminator 2 Judgment Day 1991. Yeah. Good choice. Good well choice. played. I know you haven't seen that film, Elijah. Yes. Again, but another why, one you haven't but seen. But why have you picked the T-800? Well, I'll explain. Okay. This <laughs> film was directed by James Cameron. Yes. Yep. This is a story about the Terminators, human-like robots who exist to kill. Yep. And their mission is to kill John Connor. Mm-hmm. Okay. Dun, dun, this, dun. Fi- this film is the sequel to The Terminator. Is It is about Skynet in, yes. the, in the 21st century computer weighing loss on humans. And, and why is he a rogue? Because he is rogue because he protects John Connor and does everything that he was not originally programmed to do. Oh, so your number one choice on the Rogue Robot list, T-800, is because he was programmed to do something and he did exactly the opposite. Good choice, which is why we have this clip to demonstrate Terminator 2. 29-year-old female diagnosed as acute schizoaffective disorder. She believes that a machine called a Terminator was sent back through time to kill her. My son, he's in great danger. You the legal guardian of John Connor. What's he done now? There was a guy here this morning looking for him too. Yeah, a big guy on a bike. I wouldn't worry about him. Elijah, thanks so much for being our special guest, top five reviewer, mate. That was an awesome list, top five You're rogue very robots. Welcome. Yeah, it took the pressure off me. I was pretty happy about that. <laughs> <laughs> but that was only for this week. What's coming up next week, Mark? Coming up next week, Hermione Granger and Forrest Gump meet the social network in the internet thriller The Circle. Wow, I'm still trying to get my head around all that. Awesome <laughs> high octane funk fest baby driver will be pulling into the show. Plus, let's hear it for the third time reboot Spider Man Homecoming. I will reboot myself next week to be Ben McKechnie. And I'll still be Mark Hadley. See you then. 
The Big Picture is a Bible Society Australia production, sharing the light of God's Word into every corner of your world. 